Hi everybody from City Hill, this is Rick Norell. In case you don't know me, uh, Kent, Pastor Kent is my little brother and always will be. So anyway, um, Jane and I went to City Hill for 45 years, one of the pioneers back in 1970, and since have moved on to Cumberland, Wisconsin to a great church there near our cabin where we're at on the weekends. Kent asked me to give an update on my personal health condition. Um, just recently in the last few weeks, I've been confirmed and diagnosed with ALS, uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. And it's got a lifespan of two to five years, but we're choosing joy and we're choosing to be focused on the Lord and find out how we can minister to other people, which is a good perspective to have. Uh, when I was diagnosed, the Lord gave me three words. The first one was, how will you use this for my glory? So that's a real game changer in terms of attitude. The second one he gave me was, your body is in decline, but your spirit is rising. And boy, is that true, because I've just been so much bolder in my faith and my witness to others and just not, I mean, just getting it out there and talking to people and not, not being preachy, but just meeting needs where I can and really focusing on their spiritual conditions. And the last uh, word he gave me was one that proves that God must have a sense of humor because what he said was, you know, you have lived twice as long as my son. I'm going to, I'm 64 today on Sunday here and, uh, Christ died at what, 33? So I guess that is about twice as long. My favorite verse in the scriptures is an obscure passage from the book of Job where he had been tortured, physically afflicted, lost his finances, his friends, his family, and even had friends who were accusing and mocking and ridiculing him. And what he said was, he knoweth the path that I take, and after that I am tried, I will come forth as gold. So... Sometimes when I read these verses, I get a little bit emotional. So if I do, I'll just think of something really not funny like Jim Miller. Okay, so that's kind of how I'll do that if I can. Uh, the uh, favorite hymn that I've been singing, and I hope that after this little video is done, you'll sing this song. Um, and my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And then it finishes by saying, all other ground is sinking sand. So I hope you'll take that to heart today. Um, we are in the early stages of this, so we're doing okay. Um, I've got some mobility issues, some little bit of trouble walking. need a cane and a walker right now. But otherwise, I'm feeling pretty good. And, and my work and my friends, everybody's been just amazing and fantastic. I am setting up a Caring Bridge website today. So if you want to take a look at that, I'd love to have you jump on there and say hello. And it's a really nice website that you might enjoy. So I miss all of you. Jane and I say hello. And um, didn't mean to bum you out to hear anything because we're doing just fine. But thanks for your love. Thanks for your prayers. And I hope to see you all soon. Bye-bye. Well, good morning, City Hill. Um, we're going to wait and sing the chorus that he mentioned at the end in our closing. But as Rick sent this tape, I, uh, there's four of us brothers, Steve, Rick, myself, and Paul. Um, but as Rick sent this tape to me, Lord really spoke a message that I felt, the, a word that he wanted to have for our church this morning. And it really comes out of that first point that he mentioned today where he said, and I would just rephrase and say, how can we glorify God in good times and bad? 
And so the spirit, in the spirit of freedom this morning, I, I just want to say the sermon that God's given me is that we are free, all of us are free to glorify God. Let me open in a word of prayer, please. Father God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the world as you see the world. Lord, open our minds that we would understand your truth we be controlled, directed by your truth, not the words that shout around us. And God, I pray that we would glorify you, that our lives would bring honor to you in thought, word, and deed. In Jesus' name, amen. So in my brother's really darkest hour, you can't get a harder diagnosis that I know of, really, than to hear that you have ALS. Won't go into it, but the more I go into it, the worse I see that disease being. And I don't know, but I doubt that Rick was anticipating that word from the Lord. How will you glorify me in your sickness? I really think Rick would have expected a word such as, I love you. I'll be with you in this journey. Or don't be afraid. Or even trust me for your healing. I'm going to heal you. Let me tell you, all of those would have been really good words to receive. And I believe God, I'm sure, will speak those as well to him. But the Lord asked Rick a very direct question. How will you glorify me in this? And I believe that that question is becoming Rick's filter in this process, in his ALS diagnosis, in this most difficult season of his life. How will you glorify me in this? I think it's a great question for all of us to take to heart. We all have very different stories. We're all walking through different places in our journey I think the Lord would ask us, how can you glorify the Lord in this season of life, in this situation, in your work, in your school, in your marriage, in your family, in your home, in your, you fill in the blank, the question the Lord would say is, how can you glorify me in, in this? The question, therefore, we would say is, how, Lord, can I glorify you with my life in each and every situation? And I would pose to you that this is not just another good question to add to your list of questions. I really believe it would be the one question that should drive our lives. Now, there's other questions. There's a lot of other questions that we ask regularly, daily, as we go through life. We ask things like, we're making decisions and we ask questions like, well, what's in it for me? Um, will this make me look good or bad if I do this? What will others think of me if I act this way, make this decision? We ask questions like, might I fail? God forbid we would ever fail. We ask questions like, how much does it cost? Can I afford it? Will this decision make me happy? What pleasure will it bring to my life? Will it be fun? Will it be exciting? Is there good food? We ask a lot of questions 
in our lives. Or if we're dealing with hardship or a sickness, such as my brother is experiencing right now, we sometimes ask questions like, why me? Or what did I do to deserve this? Or even when we turn to God, we may say, God, why are you doing this to me? Or where is God in my time of struggle? A lot of questions we ask. You know, I'm not even saying that these questions are sinful or bad. In fact, a lot of these questions are necessary questions and even good questions. But I think they're secondary questions for what God would have us as followers of Jesus Christ. I think he'd, the Lord would have us continually say, how can I glorify the Lord with my life? And that's easy when you're flying high. When things are great and you're rolling along, you say, Lord, how can I glorify you in this victory? You know, if the Vikings win the Super Bowl, not happening today. You know, we say, how can I glorify the Lord in these victories of life? But how about when life is hard? Man, the more that I hear about life, and, and we're, we're, we're a pretty healthy part of America. Life is not going bad, but there's just so much pain. So much pain that people carry. And I want to challenge you in your tough times, in the battle that you're facing in your life, can you say, maybe you didn't want to be there, but can you say, Lord, how do I glorify you in, and you can fill in the blank, when life is hard. The Westminster Catechism has a, it's a statement of faith. It's quite extensive, but they boil it down to one sentence. I can only imagine the process they had with all these English and Scottish theologians, 1646. They boiled it down to one statement, and here it is. And it's held up pretty well for over 350 years, so it must have some, some depth and some truth to it. And it says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I want to focus on that first part today. The chief end of mankind, of men and women, your purpose in life is to bring glory to God. I want that to drop into your heart this morning. This is how you were formed. That is how you are created. It's what God, when he designed you, and none of us are accidents, God designed you, and he says, this is how I designed you. This is how you work best when you are bringing glory to me. It's how you were created. Now, if you imagine yourself to be a cell phone, okay? How many of you have cell phones? Okay, so you have a cell phone. It's an amazing instrument in your life. Let's say God designed you to be a cell phone, and it's amazing, really. With a couple pushes of the button, you can talk to anybody that has a cell phone all around the world. You can connect to the internet. You can check out the weather. You can watch sports. You can watch TV. You can listen to music. You can check incredible information, connect to the internet through this little instrument we call a cell phone. But what if the cell phone had other ideas for how it was supposed to function? Cell phone says, you know, 
I don't, that's not really what I'm about. That's not who I am. I, uh, I'm not interested in how you've designed me. I want to be a bird. Really, that's, I'm a bird. Because I've watched flight and I, oof, I want to fly. I want to, you know, just watch me. Be amazed, God, because really, I'm a bird. The cell phone stands in its own self-made glory and says, I want to fly. Okay. Remember that. <laughs> to which God may gently reply, How's that working for you, that flying thing? <laughs> See, a cell phone was never meant to fly. No matter how much it thinks that's how it was designed. What I'm speaking of today is our own lives that where we live in ways different from how God has designed us. And God has designed you to bring glory to him in every part of your life, in every question, in every where you work, where you study, in your homes. We have been designed, the chief end of mankind, men and women, are to bring glory to God. And when we live according to God's design, his divine design, then we find freedom. We're talking about freedom. And freedom is when you are living according to how you have been designed. So as we figure out more and more, God, how have you made me to work? Then we find that freedom. I don't know about you, but when I really enter in, now worship is much more than just Sunday morning singing songs. But that's a good part of it. And when I come in carrying my burdens and my thoughts and my things, and I come in and I can actually stop and worship the Lord, something happens in my soul. It's like things kind of get in line. It's like, okay, all those problems are kind of dropping off because this is what God created me to be. He created me to be a worshiper. He created me to bring glory to Him. And the freedom that Christ has for you is experienced when you live according to His divine design that's how God created us to live. I want to define glory for you. To glorify is to make glorious or to bestow honor, praise, admiration upon another or giving praise to the highest degree possible. It's to make one's name great. And so in your life as you make God's name great, you're glorifying him. My brother has decided in this great challenge that he has, is facing and beginning to walk that he wants to glorify God in his life. We've had a lot of good talks. He said, if this is my last chapter, I want to go out glorifying Jesus. I want to lift up his name. I want people, 
I want to, even more than my other 64 years before, I want to bring glory to God as I walk through this difficult time. I believe he will. He met with 15 other producers in his work. And he told me, I'm going in there, but the number one rule is don't cry. Men don't cry in these meetings, ever. I said, how'd it go? He goes, lots of tears. Hugs from people who barely shake your hand. People opened up their doors. There were stories. We went places relationally with people I've worked with for decades that we've never gone before. Spoke of his faith, how God was walking with him. He's bringing glory to God in an incredible, difficult time. And this morning, I want to just take a little while and talk about the life of David. Because David was a man that gave glory to God in his life. Very amazing man in the Bible. You know, we're having a, the ABC, the adult Bible classes over here at 9 a.m. I encourage you to go. Zach Schubert, one of our elders and a gifted teacher, is walking us through that. And this is during this month, 9 o'clock, come join in. We want to go deep into the life of David and learn what God has for us from his life. You know, David takes up 66 chapters of the Bible. It's amazing. It's a lot spoken about this man in the scriptures. He also wrote much of the book of Psalms. So what do we know about David? He was the shepherd boy who became king. He was the young man that killed the giant Goliath. We know that David was a man after God's own heart, a man that passionately loved God, yet had some kinks in his armor. He uh, fell into adultery with Bathsheba. And then to cover that up, had her husband Uriah killed. The man who so deeply loved God, how could he fall so far? We learn a lot through his life. And through David came the lineage of Christ, our Messiah. So he's an amazing figure in the scriptures. And he began as a shepherd boy. So here's this guy out in the field, young, probably a young teen. And the backstory to that is Israel had come into the promised land. They're now living in the promised land. And they demanded a king. We want a king like the other nations. God acquiesced to their demand, gave them Saul. Saul did okay for a time, ended up falling away, disobeying the commandments, and God set him apart in the sense of, okay, this is not going to be the long-term lineage and calls the prophet Samuel to Bethlehem. This is where I want to start the story. He calls Samuel, the great prophet, to Bethlehem on a covert mission to anoint a new king. I say covert because to anoint a new king when there's already a king in place is treason. Very dangerous thing for him to do, but in obedience he goes there under the cover of celebrating a feast, goes to the house of Jesse, and Jesse brings seven sons to this encounter with the great prophet Samuel. 
And seven sons of Jesse passed by. Let's read in 1 Samuel 16, beginning with verse 6. When they came and looked on Eliab and thought, surely, this is Samuel talking, surely the Lord's anointing is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, nah, don't look at his appearance or the height of his stature. I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Let me just repeat that. The Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass by in front of Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord's not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the sons you have? He said, well, there remains yet this, the youngest, but he's out keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. He sent and brought him. Now David was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. An amazing anointing, calling the young brother, the eighth of these brothers, to be king over Israel. And there had been quite an impressive lineup. Some of these older brothers seemed to be real, the football lineup, right? Big guys, good-looking guys, and one that we would say, now that's going to make a good leader. That guy's going to be great. And God said, nope because he was looking at the heart. And so when God looked down and saw David, what did he see? How did David's heart differ from his brothers? What was it inside of David that God said, that's my man. That's the guy who's going to lead this nation. I'm going to propose three things to you this morning. David was in preparation as a shepherd to be king. He just didn't know it. I want to just say that just to start off. There are things that God is preparing you for in life, and you just don't know it. There's no way you can know. How can the shepherd go, yeah, I'm kind of preparing for the king. That's kind of the career route I've taken. Um, I'm looking to, you know, get things. You know, he's a shepherd boy out in the field. But God was preparing him internally. Unless you idealize, we see these beautiful pictures of shepherds. Unless you idealize it, being a shepherd was not a really great thing to be. Lots of things David would have experienced. He would have been lonely. A lot of times you're out there alone, walking along with a herd of sheep. He would have felt forgotten. Can you imagine you're out there in the field and maybe you can hear the laughter or the music or the dancing in town, but you got to stay out there with the sheep. Nobody's thinking about you. I mean, they had a party with seven brothers. They left him out in the field. He would have felt forgotten. Cold. They talk about the snow in Bethlehem. So it could have got really cold where he was. They would have built fires, huddled together. Sometimes probably other shepherds would come by and they would have found ways to find warmth, but it wouldn't have been a pleasant situation staying out that long in the cold. He would have experienced dangers from wild animals. They talk about the wolves. 
David talks about lions and bears. I don't really see them all, but that's what David speaks of out there in the fields. Thieves that would come to take the... So you had people to deal with, bad guys who would come in to try to steal your sheep. And all of this is for some stupid, stinky sheep. Spend any time around sheep. They're not the brightest of animals of God's creation. You ever wonder why God refers to us as sheep? You know, it would have been nice to have us be the eagles of God. Or, you know, even pigs are smarter than sheep. But God calls us his sheep. And I just think it would have been really easy for David to get a bad attitude. I just think it would have been easy for him to kick some sheep, to say, how come I get stuck with this job? I'm out here, it's cold, everybody's in at the party. Stupid sheep, anyway. And I just think it could have been easy for him to mope, do a bad job. Who's looking anyway? But David didn't. David, I would just say, he bloomed where he was planted. He was planted out there to be a shepherd. He didn't really like it. I mean, I, I can assume in the sense that it wasn't the greatest place to be. And he said, well, if this is where I am, if this is where God has me, I'm going to just do great right here. And I think there are places in our lives, many of you are in places and things that you don't want to be. Be it careers or houses or family situations that are not great. And I get that. And I'm sorry for that. And I hurt with you with that. But I think the Lord's question is, how can you bloom? How can you glorify the Lord right where you are Praying for deliverance, praying for change, that's good. But while you're waiting for God's provision, can we do well? Can we glorify God right where we're planted? And David writes in Psalm 86, Give thanks to the Lord, O my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forevermore. Like in every situation, wherever I go, I will glorify your name. What if you just decided that this morning? Wherever life leads me. And I just go back, that's why the Lord spoke to me through my brother's message. Nobody wants to be led. Nobody wants to have to deal with ALS. I don't fully even understand the disease. I'm sure I will. And we're praying. He's been anointed with oil. We've gathered with his, we gather with his church and leadership up there we're praying for healing, but while we're praying, he's saying, all right, well, while we're waiting and seeing what God will do, let's glorify the Lord with my life today. So what did David do? Well, one is he developed his God-given skills. Skills that you, he might not even know he was developing, but he made a sling. Sling is two cords, leather pouch with a rock. And I could just see him. He had a big boulder over there, and he'd go, bang. First one maybe went up, maybe hit somebody, you know, or some sheep got hit, but he got better. Bang, he hit a rock. Then he said, okay, I'll try that tree. And after a while, he could hit that tree. And then he saw a rabbit running by, and he, bang, he got a rabbit on the move. He said, oh, I'm getting pretty good with this. And a bird in flight, and he's getting really good with this sling. He developed his skills. And that was tested, because God will test us. And he speaks later on about killing the lions, plural, and the bears. 
I don't know about you, but would you attack a lion in, you know, hand-to-hand combat? I would assume he was armed with a knife. And that bear was taken, a bear was taken a sheep, and he went after it, rescued the sheep, and attacked. So if it rose up against me, he slayed it. He killed it. Those that ran off might have survived. But David took on a bear and a lion and killed them. Now, I will confess to you that if I was out, I like being outdoors, if I was up at Boundary Waters and encountered a bear and wrestled with it on the ground and pulled out some knife and killed that bear, you'd hear about it. <laughs> you would hear a great story. You'd say, let me tell you what happened to me last week. You know, I killed that bear. I grabbed it. I mean, that's pretty tough, right? And David didn't just say, man, I am something else. In all of his victories, he kept saying, and the Lord, behind it all was the Lord. I never would have been able to do that except God. In every victory he had, he'd just say, and, and God gave me the strength. And somebody might have said, well, no, you killed that bear. And No, I did, but it was in the strength and the power when the help of the Lord. And may we always, with every victory we experience, be it in business, be it in our homes, may it always be, praise the Lord, he helped me. It was the Lord who empowered me to accomplish this. And then he takes it. So he's preparing. He didn't know it, but he's preparing for Goliath. And he comes up and he faces, he comes out and he sees Goliath. Now it's a little bit down the road. You know, Goliath, they say, is 13 feet, 4 inches tall. I mean, he's not a big guy. I mean, I'm six foot four. He's twice, more than twice my height. Massive individual. And everybody just shuddered in fear. And David somehow looks at this guy and sees the lion. He sees the bear and he says in verse 36, when he's talking to Saul, your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, that same God will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And with that confidence, Saul goes, go, and the Lord be with you. God help you, young man. May it be so. And we know how that story ends. So he was developing his skill. The second thing David did is he developed his relationship with God out there in those starry nights. You know, people talk about how do you connect with God. When I am in the north, when I love boundary waters, I love camping, and I go out there, and when I'm out there, there's something at night where I call it a thin space. It's easy to talk to God. The lights, the cell phones don't work, praise the Lord. There's no media, there's just stars and water. And David, on those starry nights, he would write songs, sing praises to God. I'll just read a portion of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. So he looked, he said, you know, I am a shepherd to these sheep, but you know, 
God is my shepherd. And he paralleled the two. He said, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. God, you, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He sings these songs of praise and worship and came to know the heart of God. The third thing that David did is he loved and faithfully cared for his sheep. He was a good shepherd. He'd go after them if they were taken by a lion or a bear. He'd care for them. He'd go after that one that was lost. He loved those sheep. It was not just, got to do my job or dad's going to get mad. He truly cared and loved. I'm sure he knew the names of these sheep, and the sheep knew his voice. He protected them. He cared for them. He found them food. And I believe that as God looked down and saw the heart of a man who would care for these animals and saw the heart of a man that would worship him late at night, talking to God, worshiping his God, as he saw a man developing his skills, honing his skills, the Lord looked down and said, David brings me glory. I like this guy. I like his heart. This is the guy that I want to be my king over Israel. And David's, the story goes on and will go on in weeks to come. But David used that desire to glorify God when life turned really bad. You might say, well, that was easy for him. But David was being pursued by Saul later on. He's hiding in caves. Caves are cold and damp and uncomfortable. And somehow he's hiding in this cave. And we see that in Psalm 57. What's he say? Why me? I didn't do anything wrong to deserve this. I mean, what, God, where, you anointed me as king over Israel and I'm hiding in a cave? This isn't what he says. And there might be times to be talked to God that way. I'm not saying there aren't. But David, in Psalm 57, he says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. He writes this in tough times. I just want to bring it home to close and say, I know that there's tough times. You may be on the top of the mountain or you may be in one of those dark valleys. But the question I want to pose is the scripture says, how, that we would ask ourselves, how can I bring glory to the, God, to the Lord today? Don't let yourself be deceived thinking, well, I'd bring glory to God if he'd fix this situation. No. How can I, in an adverse situation or in a wonderful situation, how can I bring glory to the Lord with my life? I'll tell you, the light of Christ shines most brightly in the dark. When life is difficult and people see Christ shining in you, they go, that doesn't make sense. There's something different about that person. How can they be singing a song or testifying of God when I know that they're in a battle? And you may be here this morning and you've never opened your heart to Christ. I don't know everybody here. And the first step of glorifying God is opening your heart to Christ. Just bow our heads. Worship team, come on up.
We already had one salvation this morning, praise the Lord. Scripture says a little child shall lead them. God's shown that true in this way this morning, a little child taking the first step towards opening your heart to Christ. That just completed my morning before the even got up to preach. But if there's anybody else that says, I've never opened my heart to Christ, could you just take that step of faith this morning? Our heads bowed. If there's anybody that hasn't done that, that wants to open their heart to Christ, just look up at me or signal me with your hand so I don't miss you. I just want to agree. The scripture says that we're two or more agree on anything on earth, it shall be done. Anybody here this morning that wants to take that step of faith? I want to wait for a moment. If I, if I don't see you looking at me, just raise your hand so I, can, I won't embarrass you. Anybody this morning that wants to take that step of opening their heart to Christ? For the rest of us, I would just close and say, what is your life situation today? If you put it in the hands before you, how can you glorify the Lord right where you are? How can you bring glory to God today? In dark times and good times, may we be those that bring glory to the Lord in our lives. Amen? Let's all stand. Let's sing that song that my brother spoke to us this morning. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Let's sing together. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy lead on Jesus' name. Lord, may we be those that give glory to the Lord today. In every situation, may that be the cry of our heart, the question of our heart, Lord, how can I bring glory to you? If you're our guest this morning, I'd love to meet you out at the Welcome Center on the left, going out the door. I'd love to greet you this morning. If you'd like prayer for healing.